together this morning. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you so much for this special morning that um, you've blessed us with. Um, thank you for protecting us, getting us here. And, um, Lord, for those that couldn't make it this morning, that, um, that their time would be blessed. Lord, if they're able to watch online or just to spend time, Lord, with you, that would be so sweet and deep and rich and encouraging. And Lord, we thank you for, um, for your word and for how you speak to us. Lord, you said that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. And, and, and we need to hear your voice above all the other voices out there, that we would hear you clearly and that we would respond accordingly as, as you call us to, as you encourage us and and at times challenge us. And we're so grateful that you love us, you cherish us. And again, that you are our shepherd, we are your sheep. You are the potter, we are the clay. And so would you mold us and shape us and by your spirit change us? We need a fresh work of your spirit this morning. So have your way in this place for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So Revelation, important chapter, Revelation 22, the last chapter in the canon of Scripture of the 66 books, this is it, the final chapter, God's Word, His final word to, uh, to us. And this is an awesome chapter. It is filled with encouragement. It is filled with comfort. It is, it's also filled with some challenges too, also, and some warnings as well. Um, you know the Bible tells us our future? You don't need to run off and get a horoscope or somebody that reads your hand. God wants us to know as his children what our future will be like. He doesn't give us every single detail, right? Because it really keeps us longing for heaven. He gives us a snapshot in chapter 21 and chapter 22 of our future. And can I just say to us this morning that we will live happily ever after? There will be no complaints, no gripes. It is going to be amazing and incredible. And it's all of ours because of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and for me. And listen, if you're burdened this morning, you're concerned about the future. um, Again, we're going to learn about the future this morning. You've come to the right place. Um, In fact, if you're weary and burdened, Jesus says, come unto me. And I'll give you rest. And I pray that God's word would give you rest this morning in your soul. And so following the natural, normal uh, progression of the book, remember where we began? Chapter one, it was a long time. I know it was a long time ago. It was a year ago, by the way. Chapter one, remember the apostle John is on the island of Patmos. Jesus shows up, right? and meets with him there. Jesus, in all of his glory, all of his splendor, in all of his awesomeness, shows up. John is blown away, right? He falls at the feet of the Lord as if dead. Jesus says what? Don't be afraid. Touches him. Get up. I want you to write down the things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things which will come to pass after this or hereafter. And so John was faithful to do that. Chapter 1 right? He told us everything that happened to him when he saw Jesus. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus gave seven report cards to the churches, right? 
And so the application is not just for churches in John's day, but for us as well, corporately as a church, but also individually as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 4 and chapter 5 speaks of the future events that Jesus enabled John to see. What happened in chapter 4 and chapter 5? John was supernaturally transported to heaven, and what did he see? He saw the throne. He saw God sitting on the throne, and he also saw the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and also the angels that were there. And also, remember what else he saw? A special group of people that are identified by the songs that they sing. There is only one group of people that can sing those songs in that chapter. Those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? You know what that means? John saw you and I in heaven in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And I'm bringing this up because chapter 4 and chapter 5 always precede chapter 6 through 19. How did the church get into heaven before those chapters? The rapture of the church. Jesus said he's coming for us. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Because chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. Seven years of tribulation on this earth where God's wrath will be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And we know that God has not appointed us unto wrath. In fact, Jesus said, I will keep you, church, from the very hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. And so Jesus comes and gets us. John sees that. He sees us in heaven. Chapter 6 through 19, three sets of seven judgments happen. Remember that? The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, and all of the judgments that happen, all of the pressure, all of the tribulation that happens on planet earth is happening for a purpose. For some of us, we needed tribulation to break us of our pride and arrogance to surrender to Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, there will be a huge awakening. Many people will get saved from different tribes, tongues, and nations, and it's going to take that amount of pressure to break them. God will also fumigate planet earth. He will remove wickedness and wicked ones from this planet. And not only that, God will deal with the nation of Israel. At the end of the tribulation period, what's going to happen? The Jews will recognize, those that have survived, will recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and cry out to Him and He will come. He will return. His second coming, we will be with Him. He will come to this earth, set up His kingdom for how long? On earth, a thousand years, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the kingdom age. At the end of the millennial reign, at the end of the literal thousand years, I believe God says, means what he says and says what he means. At the end of a literal thousand years is the great white throne judgment. Where all unbelievers will be resurrected, those that have rejected Jesus Christ. Those that have rejected God's witness throughout history to them will stand before God and be found guilty and sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity. And then what's going to happen after that? This earth as we know it, the heavens as we know it, will be gone, toast, see you later, burn up in a, in a pinch of ash, in, a, in fire. And then what will God do? He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And also we learned about the new Jerusalem, right? Will come down from heaven... 
and will be set up here on earth. We talked about this, how beautiful that's going to be in chapter 21. Aren't you excited for that, by the way? And so we pick up now, John continues to describe the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven, from God, and where's it going to land? Texas, is that right? Or is it going to float, like orbit around? We don't, I don't know. It doesn't say. It's going to come down. It's a holy city. And so what else do we learn about heaven, about the new Jerusalem? We're told in chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God, and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. And there shall be no more curse. And there shall be no more curse. This is a good spot for an amen. There shall be no more curse. Thank you, Lord. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So awesome. So sneak previews of coming attractions, gang. What else do we see that's connected with the new Jerusalem? Well, notice, first of all, it says, he showed me. Who's he, by the way? The angel. We learned about this angel last week, right, in chapter 21, He was one of the angels that delivered one of the seven last plagues and the bold judgments. So this angel was not only associated with God's judgment, but also with bringing God's grace. And think about that. Did he take John by the hand and he shows him this? This tour guide angel, that's what I call him, tour guide angel, shows him a special river. I was like, check it out. The river is pure. It's clear. It's crystal. You know what that means? The river is unpolluted, it's untainted, there's no scum, it's not stagnant, there's no flesh-eating bacteria. How awesome is that? Clear, pure, it is the water of life. And then notice also where it comes from. It proceeds from or flows forth from where? What does it say? From the, the throne of the Father and the Son. Who's the Lamb? Jesus, right? John the Baptist saw Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So this throne belongs to the Father and the Son. The water of life flows from the throne. Isn't that beautiful? Life proceeds, life flows from the throne. And Jesus gives us life. He gives us eternal life. He also gives us spiritual life that is satisfying and fulfilling, doesn't he? Have you recognized that in your own life? That the life that Jesus has given us as his followers is satisfying and fulfilling. 
Is anybody on the, on the same page as I am this morning? It, didn't Jesus promise that? He said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundant. And I, again, I don't know about you, but when you follow Jesus, you do what he says, life just works. Not that it's not difficult, but all of a sudden, man, you do what he says in your marriage, with your kids, with, your, with, with people around you, your interpersonal relationships, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, his word works. Life is starting to work. Before knowing Jesus, in the B.C. days, it was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, where I'm going. This is jacked up. And then you get direction. You get, you get orientation, if you will. And he begins to lead you. And what happens? Wisdom is justified by her children. God's wisdom is seen, the fruit of it in our lives as we walk with him. Life flows from the throne. And so for all eternity, we will experience life to its fullest, to it's most satisfying and glorious, how beautiful it's going to be. Sometimes when I share at uh, memorial services, um, we talk about this passage. And if you can imagine your best day ever, your best moment ever, can you imagine that just over and over and over again? The best day you ever had, yet even more glorious, more wonderful, more beautiful. Well, that's what we have to look forward to. And so those who have bowed their knees to this throne experience life. Amen? What else do we see? Verse 2. There is a street in the holy city. What's that street made of, by the way? Pure gold. In heaven, God uses what for asphalt? Gold. Isn't that amazing? Pure gold street. And it says, like transparent glass, but right in the middle of Main Street stands the tree of life, correct? And on either side of the river, I don't quite understand what that's communicating. Again, what the orientation is. Is the, is the river flowing around it or next to it? Or In any event, look what it says. This tree bore 12 fruits, 12 kinds of fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. Each month you get a different fruit. How nice is that? Do you guys like fresh fruit? Yes? Isn't it awesome? Or are you like rotten fruit? Bruised, brown? Don't you like fresh fruit? You ever bit into a piece of fruit and a little friend was sticking out? There'll be none of that in heaven. How cool is that? Fresh, delicious, ripe fruit. And can you imagine sharing fruit with Jesus? How awesome is that going to be? Because we know that Jesus likes to eat. Correct? When he walked this earth, even after his resurrection, remember after his resurrection, didn't he have fish and chips with the boys a couple times? And we get to share fruit with our Jesus. And if you don't like the fruit that month, guess what? Next, next month you got a different fruit. And each type of fruit yields a monthly harvest. And I think back, remember in the beginning, I mean, we, we live in a fallen world. Our fruit has fallen too. Can you imagine in the garden before the fall, the fruit that they had? And you look, you go back to the creation account 
And I would encourage you to read Genesis 1 and 2 and read Revelation 21 and 22 and, and look at those together, how beautiful it is. But when God was creating, right? When he was creating, he said it is what after each thing? It is good. The only time he said it's not good is when man didn't have a companion. It is good. It is good. It is good. Think about that. When he was creating those things, was he saying, this is good for me, man? Man, I'm, look at me. It was good for man. It was good for woman. How blessed they're going to be to try that fruit. Oh, I can't wait to see what Adam names that animal with the white stri- or black stripes or white stripes. What is a zebra? Black or white? I don't know. Long neck, giraffe cruising by. What's he going to name him? Why? So it would be a blessing to man. And think about for all eternity, we get to partake of this. Why? Because of something we've done? No, because of what Jesus did for us. We get to be partakers of this. And then look at the second half of verse 2. This tree has special leaves for everyone's benefit and blessing. Notice, for the healing of the nations. Well, wait a minute. Healing? I thought there was no disease no death. What's the deal with these leaves that bring healing? Well, if you dig a little deeper and look up the word uh, healing in the Greek, it's therapia, in which we get the word, take a guess, therapy or therapeutic. And so these leaves are not bringing healing to a sickness or a disease or death, but they're doing what? If it's therapeutic, it's soothing, it's refreshing, It's invigorating. In other words, let me put it this way. In other words, it's going to feel real good. The fruit's going to taste really good, and you're going to feel really good taking these leaves and rubbing them on you. Verse 3. The curse and its effects and consequences from Genesis 3 and throughout history will be gone. The damaging effects of sin will be gone. How awesome is that going to be? Think about how much damage our sin has done to us, to one another. Think about how much we've hurt others, our words, our actions. We've hurt ourselves. And then to be forgiven of our sins, the power of sin broken, and then one day to be set free from the presence of sin altogether. No longer vulnerable to the ways of, of Satan. No more sin nature. I mean, can you imagine? No more sin nature. No more struggling with whatever it is you struggle with as a Christian. We still have struggles, don't we? Not that we're continuing to practice sin, but there's areas of struggle we have in our lives. I can't wait to be completely set free. No more sinful desires, no sickness, disease, death, no cancer. No more environmental disasters, no more conflicts with others, no more laboring by the sweat of our brow with low productivity in a cursed environment, no more weeds. Anybody grateful for no more weeds and thorns here? Those of you who do your gardens. No separation from God whatsoever. Why? All because of Jesus, his work on the cross, 
and his resurrection from the dead. Notice what else it says in that verse. But the throne of the Father and Son will be in the holy city, full access anytime. We will experience new glorious intimacy with the Lord and his servants shall serve him. We will get to serve the Lord, not only now, but even for all eternity. And there's nothing greater than serving Jesus, is there? Is there anything better than serving Jesus? If you found something better than serving Jesus, come tell me. I look at this and how beautiful. In heaven, in the new Jerusalem, we will be busy and it won't be boring. Think about your job right now. And remember the curse. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. Imagine in heaven, we will work free from hurt, free from problems, free from difficulty. We will experience amazing productivity. No issues with people. Every day will be like your best moment ever. In other words, work won't feel like work. And we are his servants in this life and in the life to come. We do those things that please our master, don't we? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. And if you're not serving him now, you're not going to serve him then. And it is the greatest to serve Jesus, gang. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus had met with the Samaritan woman. You guys remember that? And then the Samaritan woman went back to the village. Here come the disciples. You guys remember this story? And they said to Jesus, come on, you got to eat. Here's some hummus. Here's some falafel. You got to eat up. And what did Jesus say? I have food that you have no clue about. And they're like scratching their heads saying, what? Did someone deliver? Did H-E-B deliver? Heb, Hebrew market. (laughs) Making sure you're still with me. Remember what Jesus said? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what the Lord was saying? What satisfies me is doing what the Father wants me to do. And not just quit throwing the towel, but to finish his work. If that's what satisfied Jesus, guess what will satisfy you and satisfy me? is being about our Father's business, being servants, serving Him. And I shared first service, and someone came up, with me, came up to me after service and said, Pastor, I can't wait to see you and Luke serving the Lord together. And I can't wait. And I shared, for those of you who have children that you are serving with in ministry, or kids you're serving with mom and dad, or just dad, or just mom, don't ever take that for granted. It is such a blessing. I can't wait for that day when I get to, some of you guys know I have a special needs son, can't walk, can't talk. But one day I'm going to see him walk and talk, and I'm going to serve Jesus with him together. The curse will be gone. Next verse, verse 4. How awesome is that? We will see God's face. No no one has seen God at any time. We see dimly now through a mirror, but then face to face, we'll see him clearly. How cool is that going to be? Seeing the Lord face to face, 
Perfect intimacy, new fellowship, no mystery, no wondering what's going on, seeing him, seeing the face of God and living, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Didn't we learn about this already? Jesus will write the Father's name on our foreheads. Where does it say that? Chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read it. Why am I going to read it? People ask me all the time, Pastor, what about tattoos, man? What do you think about tattoos? Tattoos. I think they're awesome, man. Well, how many you got? I got zero. Why? Well, I asked the Lord. He said, no. But here's the deal. I'm waiting for mine. Revelation 3.12. Jesus speaking here to the church. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. How cool is that? Jesus giving us three tattoos. Killer. Perfect. They won't sag or get bad. Listen, why do you write your name on something? Thank you. Ownership. It belongs to you. I like to go through the lost and found here, by the way, sometimes. I'm just, just a confession this morning. And I look at the Bibles, and I open them up, because someone left their Bible here. They can't be without their Bible, can they? You know how many times I see a name in there? Very rarely. And I'm like, how, how can you be without a Bible? We've got to get this to that person. Well, they already have 50 at home, right? One on the coffee table, bedroom. But it's a mark of ownership, isn't it? We write our name and stuff that belongs to us. Listen, we are marked by God. We belong to him. There's nothing better than belonging to God and his family. Amen? And it's like we are identified with God. That mark on us, him writing his name on us, that identifies us with him. All of us as believers will have that, correct? Isn't that amazing? He identifies with every one of us, every one of us, even the knuckleheads. He's not ashamed to write his name on you and on me. He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. I would say even now, you don't gross him out. Because he already sees you seated in the heavenlies with him, Ephesians 2. It's a mark of acceptance. It's a mark of belonging. It's a mark of love, gang. It's beautiful. Verse 5, the holy city, no nighttime in the holy city, no darkness. Artificial and natural light sources are unnecessary. Why? Because look what it says. It's the Lord provides all the light. Light emanates from him. Light pours forth out of the Lord. I mean, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, didn't he? He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we will experience that for all eternity, that special light of the Lord. And they shall reign. Who's they? 
That's us. They shall reign for how long? What's your Bible say? For how long? Forever and ever. So think about that with me. Not only will we reign with Jesus, which he told us, we'll rule and reign with him during the millennial kingdom, but it continues to go on and on and on. We will serve him and reign with him. Wow. Is that amazing to anybody here? And I think, what an awesome future. The Lord, and think about that, how many people strive and manipulate and work things over to rule and reign over people. Happens in business sometimes. Do what you can to get to the top of the corporate ladder. Doesn't matter who you step on. Doesn't matter how you lie, cheat, scam, whatever. The sad thing is, sometimes people import that into the church. That fleshly, carnal, worldly tactics, if you will. And you know the disciples even did that? The, the apostles, the A, the A team. Not, not the B apostles, D apostles. The varsity team did this. You guys remember when? Matthew, if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 20. Remember how that rolled out? James and John. What was their nickname? Sons of, who was thunder, mom or dad? We don't know. But James and John have a plan, don't they? We want to rule and reign with Jesus. We want to sit on his right and left hand, and we, got to, we have to make it happen. And so what do they do? Hey, mommy, mama, we got a favor to ask. We really want to rule and reign with Jesus, sit on his right hand and left hand. And we know you can help us out. But isn't that what happens when we're manipulative, power hungry? We use other people. We use others. Scheming, conniving, manipulative. And what do they do? They come to Jesus. The mom comes first. I think they're in the background. And she comes up, and you got to sense the melodrama. Oh, Lord, you, you know these boys, they're good boys. <laughs> they left the business. They had it made to follow you. They've taken up their cross to follow you. And Jesus is like, well, what are you asking? Now, they want to sit on the right hand and on the left. And Jesus looks right through. Doesn't he always look right through our, our phoniness, our scheming, our cleverness, our manipulativeness? He looks right through, and what does he say? He says to the boys, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to suffer the way I'm going to suffer? And what do they say? I think they stuck out their chest. Flexing on Jesus. Right? We're able. We can drink the cup. We got this. We got it down, man. 
I don't know if that was, that's a loose Robertson translation. But that's what happens when you're, again, secretive, manipulative, scheming. It blinds you. And Jesus said, remember his response? You will drink the cup and you're going to suffer. But for me to give those positions of power, of ruling and reigning, that's not mine to give. Sorry. Can you imagine how embarrassing? We sent our mom and we... The Lord doesn't even give out the seats. And it's so interesting. You go back and read that story, and it says <laughs> the 10 were displeased with the two. And previously, they're always known as the, the 12. The 12 did this. The 12 did that. Now it's the 10 and the two. They're divided. That, that's what happens. Power hungry. Wanting to rule and reign, manipulative, secretive. And what did Jesus do? I'm done, new crew, new squad in here, get these bozos out. Is that what he did? It's so beautiful. It's always where, where revival starts. Jesus called them unto himself. It's coming back to Jesus. And what did he say? Hey, he said, you guys know how they do it in the world? How they lord it over others? They get people to serve them and rule over them, and not so among you. Not so among you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, become a servant of all. You see, the way up is down. If we want to be great in his kingdom. He doesn't say, don't be great in my kingdom. It's the way we go about it. And then Jesus said, he gave us the qualifier. What did he say? For, reason word, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus helped them to get back on the right track. And I think as we read this passage, some people in ministry, some people in life, they just want to rule and reign now. And the Lord is saying, look what I have for you for all eternity. If you'll just take up the cross now and not try to get on the throne now, I've got a throne. I've got a reign waiting for you. You're just going about it the wrong way. You take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. You live your life as a servant as you represent me, as I came to to serve others. Beautiful. Great reminder, huh? Well, verse 6, do we have time? We do. I guess we can stay in because it's going to keep raining. (laughs) Verse 6. That that way we can finish this book next month. (laughs) Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And so, tour guide angel speaks to John, right? And, and maybe John was thinking, this is too good to be true. 
Uh, maybe you came this morning, this is too good to be true. And what does he say? The words here are what? These words are faithful and, and true. John is reminded what he received, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is reliable and without error. Every detail is true. Every part will come to pass exactly as it has been communicated. Do you know that God's word is perfect? Every part of it, every jot and tittle. His word is reliable. You can trust his word because it comes from his heart to our hearts. His word is trustworthy. It is the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, as he prayed, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus validated for us once again. His word is settled in heaven. These are the facts. And then look at the second half of verse 6. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants what? The things which must shortly take place. I just want to point out a phrase there. The Lord God, the Lord is the God of the holy prophets. Do you see that? The holy prophets are who? Those who God called to represent him faithfully and speak truthfully on his behalf. We see them in the Old Testament. We see them in the New Testament. The Lord is their God. And the point that I want to make is the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Why am I bringing that up? Because you know what I hear sometimes from people? And, and here's typically the problem is that they have never read their Bibles. They've never really put in the time to study their Bibles and meditate on the Scriptures. And what they say is, oh, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's kind of like a cranky old man, all angry. And then you get to the New Testament, and the Son, Jesus, mellowed him out big time. I'm like, I'm not sure what Bible you're reading, bro. God said in Malachi, I am the Lord, I changeth not. Jesus Christ said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That goes the same for every member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord is the God of the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament prophets. In fact, he goes on and it says, the Lord dispatched his faithful angel to do what? To show his servants. And by the way, that word show means to give evidence, to give proof of a thing, to show by words or teach, to expose to the eyes so those who serve the Lord are recipients of the revelation. The revelation is disclosed to the servants of the Lord, including us. And notice it says all the things we've read about, the things that we heard, saw, and all of our study through revelation will take place. Notice they must take place shortly. And some people sit here going, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. That was 2,000 years ago. 
How can it be shortly? There's got to be something wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people say that. Oh, the Lord said He was coming. That was 2,000 years ago. He hasn't showed up. Well, why did He say that? So every generation would be an expectation of the Lord coming. But if you study this word, if you dig a little deeper in the Greek, this word shortly is tacos. Not like tacos you get at the El Torito or wherever you go. En, en tacos is the word. You'll be able to remember that now, won't you, though? It means shortly, for sure, but it also means speedily or with quickness. We get the word, you know that instrument in your car that measures the RPMs? What's that thing called? Thank you, tachometer. We get that word from this Greek word. And so, what's being communicated? The idea is, is when the things we read in Revelation, they must take place, and when they begin to take place, what's going to happen? They're going to happen with quickness. The RPMs are going to start to rev up, so to speak, happen quickly in quick succession. You don't like that illustration? Anybody, anybody do dominoes? Not pizza. You know the little... The ones I grew up with were black with white spots. Did anybody have those also? Someone came to me after first service and said, I never heard of black dominoes. We got white ones with black dots. Whatever dominoes you got, you ever see them when they line them up and then you hit the first one and what happens? It does all the cool tricks. That's what we're talking about here. Once that first one goes, rapture the church, it's, gonna, it's on, baby. And so... How we doing? Oh, we're doing good on time. Remember the Olivet Discourse. Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24. Jesus spoke to his disciples concerning the time period that we are in between his ascension back into heaven and his second coming to set up his kingdom on this earth. The time period. He said, here's some signs that are going to happen. When you see these things come to pass, lift up your eyes. Man, your redemption draws near. And Jesus said those signs will happen like birth, birth pangs. The closer and closer we get to the birth of the kingdom, they will happen with more intensity and more frequency. In other words, the RPMs are going to start to rev up. Does that make sense, everybody? No, talk to me after. One more verse. Here we go. What does Jesus say here? Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Three times. Last book of the Bible. Last chapter, right? Three times Jesus will say, Behold, I'm coming quickly. In fact, look at uh, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. Look at verse 20. Surely I am coming. What does behold mean? Check it out. Look, listen up, tune in, don't miss this. Jesus said, I am coming. Do you know, brother or sister, that Jesus is coming for us? 
When he says quickly, it means suddenly. In fact, Jesus said about his coming, it would be like a thief. Like what? Thank you. What's a thief in the night? What is what does a thief in the night do when they, when they come to rip you off? They give you a heads up, like a text. I'm coming at 3.12. They do that? Instagram, they shoot you a message, Insta. Email, they give you a heads up. A thief comes unexpectedly, suddenly, without warrant, correct? I, I mean, I've learned the hard way. Jesus said his return will be suddenly, unexpectedly, without warning. He is going to come for his bride. In fact, it can happen today. Wouldn't that be great? While we're worshiping, we're out of here. Yeah or no? You guys want to hang out? Jesus put it this way. He said, let not your heart be troubled. I think how many people today have troubled hearts? How many people in this congregation have troubled hearts? For whatever reason. And, and Jesus would say, like he did with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that personal? For you. The best carpenter that ever lived is preparing a place for you right now. Best architect, best carpenter. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That is such an amazing promise, is it not? It brings comfort to my heart knowing that he is preparing a place for me in the Father's house. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's by his grace and by his sacrifice for you and me on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead that we might have a reservation that will never change with our Lord forever and ever. I mean, isn't that amazing, gang? The, not only is the best yet to come, we will live happily ever after with our Jesus. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage, Lord, because you are an amazing God, and we're so grateful to be a part of your family, part of your kingdom.
Lord, thank you for enduring the cross, despising the shame, for the joy that was set before you. And what a day that's going to be when you present us faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. And to be able to enter into the joy of our Lord, to the Father's house, to the place you prepared for us. And Lord, whether that's rapture or or when we take our last breath here, thank you for the hope that we have, the blessed hope of not only coming for us, but to be absent from the body is to be present with you.